Nut News. That's the name of the podcast you're listening to. It's the show that's all about bees and butterflies in the context of almonds, of course, because today on the show is Pollinator Partnerships Bee Friendly Farming Coordinator and first-time dad, Miles Dakin. Thanks uh, again, Miles, for uh, joining us and uh, welcome to the shows. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're the uh, Bee Friendly Farming Coordinator, and that's something that's near and dear to us. Uh, and I certainly want to get into you know what that is and what that means. But you know, let's start with the Pollinator Partnership, because that's the organization that you work for and that's running the program. So um, tell me about the Pollinator Partnership. Yeah, so Pollinator Partnership has been doing conservation and all things related to pollinators for about 25 years. We have, you know, over two dozen kind of key programs that we focus on from sort of, you know, honeybee issues to monarchs to pollinators in general. You know, we work on habitat restoration and installation to, um, you know, getting partners together. It's, it's in our name. So a lot of what we do is assemble partners to work on these projects collaboratively. You know, we can dive into specific programs if you want to talk about those as well. But um, we kind of do everything. We, ha we have a North American focus, but we partner with organizations worldwide. So, you know, some of these other programs, I mean, obviously, Bee Friendly Farming is one that we'll dive into. But, um, you know, is there one or two that you feel like has the biggest impacts or, or might touch people's lives in ways that maybe they're, they don't even know? Um, and they might just already be kind of familiar or in, in cursory circles of, of what you're doing? Yeah. So one of our largest programs is called the North American Pollinator Protection Campaign, or NAPPC, quite a mouthful. And it's a North American-wide group that's been assembling for, oh, I think, about 20 years. We get together every October and have a conference, and then we break up into these working groups. And those working groups focus on you know, pesticide issues, honeybee issues. We have a bee from the farming task force out of that. And the membership of that group, is, it's about 200 organizations, government agencies, you know, the Almond Board of California is a member. Um, and we also have individual farmers that are part of it, too. So it's, it's a really great group of, of folks that are working in pollinator issues where pollinator issues are really important to them and want to be part of the solution. And so we can accomplish these sort of annual tasks. And then, you know, one thing that's very similar to that that recently got launched is the California Pollinator Coalition, or CPC. And it's, it's very similar, but with a California focus and with an ag focus, and that includes CDFA is a member and a founding member of that. The Almond Board of California founded it with Pollinator Partnership, but it also represents lots of other growers, you know, citrus, um, rice, cattlemen, you name it. And then it also has kind of all of the other big nonprofits that are working in California on pollinator issues. So those are some of the biggest kind of maybe overarching programs that we help run. But we have other ones like Monarch Wings Across America. And within that, we, we have a California focus as well, where we're putting in habitat in ag lands and in other private lands to help the monarch. So kind of a, a two-part question here. So the first thing would be, why pollinators? Yeah, so that's a, <laughs> that's a good question for sure. You know, pollinators are critical to not only ecosystems and biodiversity, but also to our food system. You know, about one in every three bites of food is a direct result of animal-mediated pollination. So without pollinators, we really wouldn't have the same food that we have today. 
And then, yeah, our ecosystems just wouldn't function the same way they do. There's hundreds of thousands of species of pollinators worldwide. We have just alone, we have 4,500 species of bees in the U.S. And so in terms of biodiversity, it's, it's something to absolutely care about. Well, so I said it was a two-part question. So the other part of the question, I think you started answering this, is what is a pollinator? I mean, we have honeybees, and you said 400-plus bees just here in the U.S. Are there other pollinators? I mean, what what what's within the encompassing term of pollinators? Yeah, so pollinators include, obviously, insects. They're the most species of pollinators, but it includes, you know, birds like hummingbirds, bats, even some lizards, and even some primates uh, pollinate as well. So lots of animals pollinate. What they're doing is they're going to those flowers, collecting that pollen in some way, either intentionally to get the pollen or sticking to them as they're trying to get the nectar. And then they're taking that to another flower of the same species and, you know, helping with reproduction. And Alan, just a a quick note, in terms of species, we have 4,500 species of bees. Oh, 4,500. I misheard you. Yeah. I, I got that. I got that four. Well, so forty five hundred is certainly a lot more, and that uh, it, it's really a fascinating number. I mean, you know, before I started in this path of of bee friendly farming, which you know, I guess you know, let, let's transition to to talking about that program specifically because that's what I'm familiar with. That's where you and I work together on. You know, I think I was like a lot of people. You know, you saw you had your honeybees, and you knew there were other bees, right? You know, maybe you see bumblebees or you know those big black carpenter bees are the ones that you know I see. They're just impossible to miss. You're like, how does that thing even fly? But, you know, you just, you don't really see a lot of other stuff. You know, you see these flying insects around and, you know, you just kind of assume maybe they're flies or they're mosquitoes or, you know, just a bee that you didn't really catch a good look at. Um, and it was just a honeybee. So 4,500 is, that's a, a lot of different bees. So, I mean, let's touch on that just a little bit. Are there bee species that people might immediately recognize that they're, you know, they see around, you know, their California, you know, homes or things that maybe they think aren't bees, but are? Yeah. So within California, we have about 1700 bee species. So of the 4,500 in California alone, we have 1700 of them. So it's California is a super diverse environment. That doesn't include, you know, butterflies, moths, flies, beetles, all these other pollinators. So yeah, some of the most common are absolutely the honeybee. The honeybee is not a native. It is the European honeybee. Um, it was introduced, you know, several hundred years ago, but it's easily recognizable. You also mentioned bumblebees. Bumblebees are black and yellow fluffy bees. They're super recognizable. Also, carpenter bees, you know, the blue orchard bees, and then some of our wasp species like cuckoo wasps and other kind of brightly colored wasps. Anytime you kind of see a wasp, people often see either yellow jackets or then they see, you know, these brightly colored kind of greens and blues. Um, as well. Um, And then, you know, talking about other species outside of just bees, you know, the monarch is probably one of the most recognizable insect species in the world, huge focus of conservation, and, and, you know, they're in massive decline right now. But yeah, some of our other ones, like like flies, like you mentioned, there, there are a lot of flies that actually look like bees and are mimicking bees, so they can get some kind of free protection by pretending they're bees and they can sting. So those primarily include the serpent flies, they're really great pollinators. They can fly really far distances. But then some of our moths, like our big hummingbird moths and our sphinx moths, we have those in California and they are day flying moths. So you'll see them out and about during the day. They look like a hummingbird. You can easily think they are a hummingbird. So those are some of the more kind of common ones. Obviously, hummingbirds themselves are, are 
super popular as well. So let's dive into the bee friendly farming. You know, if you're a fan of the show and connected with Select Harvest, you probably have seen that uh, the bee friendly farming has become a key piece of you know our our farming initiatives and our sustainability programs. So Miles, if you can help us out a little bit, can you just give us an introduction to bee friendly farming and and what it is and why it's important? Yeah, so bee friendly farming is our primarily our certification program for agriculture. Um, that recognizes producers that are planting pollinator habitat and practicing best management practices to support pollinators. So that includes integrated pest management and other management practices as well. And the program kind of went through a few different phases. It originally actually started as a way for beekeepers to meet farmers that would provide a safe place for their bees over winter. And then Pollinator Partnership, we acquired it in 2013, 2014, and then really kind of worked on changing it a little bit into what it is today. We've had tremendous growth over the last couple of years. I came on board in June of 2020, and right around that same time, a little bit before, we partnered with the Almond Board to really expand bee friendly farming into the almond industry in California. And I think we've certified at latest counts, you know, over 200,000 acres in those two years. The vast majority of those are in almonds. I think it's 130,000 acres or more in almonds alone. And what's really amazing, you know, fundamentally, our program is about on-the-ground change and incremental change. And so what that means is we're seeing, you know, farmers adopting practices like cover crop and hedgerows and, you know, these other habitat-focused practices on a really fast rate. I mean, I think our total certified growers have something like 64,000 acres of pollinator forage. And that is different. You know, planting cover crops within your rows is something that is fairly new, right? And so we're really, really excited about it. We really have just gotten so much acceptance into the community. And then of course, IPM as well. And the almond industry, I think, is leading the way in IPM in a lot of in a lot of ways. And so it's been a fairly easy transition and an, an easy way to say, you know, some of these IPM practices that you're already doing really support pollinators. And then um, some of them, you might not even know that they're supporting pollinators, right? It's a very indirect way. Well, I think, you know, those are some really good statements on integrated pest management. I would agree with you that I think the almond industry and, you know, our grower community in general has done a really phenomenal job of being on the forefront of adopting practices that for, as you point out, maybe for a a bunch of different reasons, um, not just for pollinator friendly practices, but have created an environment in which, you know, the way that we are handling our pests, which is, it's necessary um, in agricultural products and in almonds, particularly, at least as our conversation pertains to it. And, you know, here we are, we, you know, when I'm out and I'm talking with our growers about the program, you know, I'm not having really to have any conversations with them about their pest management programs and how to be, you know, better stewards of pollinators. They're pretty much already doing it. And and I think that's, you know, hats off to the growing community for, you know, being progressive in that regard, um, you know, again, whether it was uh, intentional for, for pollinators or not. So um, I agree with you with that statement. And we touched on a few other things, um, you know, as, as far as practices, you know, you mentioned cover crops as an example, but, um, you know... It, Maybe with a specific eye to to almond growers, are there practices that you you feel are either more commonplace within the almond growing community or are more approachable for almond growers that um, you know would be 
you know, key elements or, or good, you know, stepping stones to, you know, a certification outcome? Yeah, I mean, I, I think cover crops are definitely the sort of easiest to adopt. You know, there's so many benefits to cover crops, soil health benefits, carbon sequestration, water retention, you know, the list kind of goes on. And so it's a very sort of whole farm approach when you put in cover crops. And plus, you're, you're supporting pollinators. The difference kind of comes down to what your species that you're choosing in your cover crop is. You know, some people prefer to choose like a grass mix a lot of the time, which doesn't support pollinators as best as something like a, you know, clover, mustard, vetch kind of mix. And what's nice about cover crop too is because it's temporary, you can remove it before you need to harvest. And so it doesn't impact your operations as much as if it was a permanent thing where you couldn't touch it, right? I would say, you know, there's definitely a different type of benefit to pollinators with cover crop. It, it doesn't last as long, right? Especially if it's only one or two species, it's going to bloom for a few weeks and then it's going to die back and not bloom again for that year. So I would say more and more growers now are looking into hedgerows and permanent planting just because they provide that benefit year round. And so, you know, you can have 10 species, but each of those species is going to bloom, you know, in a different month for instance. And so there's always something there for the, the pollinators to eat. Well, and a year-round f- forage availability for, for pollinators, th- that's part of the, the program, right? You can't just plant a cover crop and, you know, meet the integrated pest management requirements and become certified, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we do require that you have flowering species in at least the growing season, so at least three of the four seasons in California. It's definitely a challenge to get flowering species in the winter, but yeah, so we do require species year-round, but the 3% and those species can kind of be a mix. So you don't have to have everything blooming year-round. You can kind of do what works for your operation. So I guess I have a couple of questions here that have come from the growing community and you know, I want to get your perspective on. And they all kind of pretty much come around the aspect of like, well, why, why should growers do this? Why should we care? You know, what, what are the benefits? You know, we can maybe talk of that on, on general, but, um, you know, I have a few, you know, specific ones. And, you know, I think the most obvious one would be, okay, so you plant cover crops, you have maybe some other species, there's there's lots of flowers in your orchard. Cover crops in almond orchards are often blooming right alongside, you know, the almonds themselves. So if you're adding all these extra flowers in there, how is that impacting your your pollination rate, right? You're putting the bees out there. Well, now the bees have other things to choose from. Is that going to, you know, impact the viability of your pollination event? Yeah. So this is a really interesting subject and something that we're still learning more and more about kind of every year. So yeah, there's definitely this this belief originally that, you know, if I put flowers out, my bees are going to go to those flowers and not to my almonds. But actually research out of the Williams lab at UC Davis shows the opposite. And what, what they showed was actually when you have flowers on, you know, on the orchard floor, the honeybees actually turn into better pollinators. And so what happens is Without the presence of those flowers, honeybees tend to, to go down almond rows and they sort of stay within the same row um, and they don't go between rows. And so when you put those cover crops in, what actually happens is those honeybees start to go between rows more and cross-pollinate more and they turn into more efficient pollinators. And they're not quite sure why that happens. Um, it could be a couple different reasons. One, it could be, you know, there are native pollinators that are going to show up in those flowers on your orchard floor, and they're going to kind of push the honeybees away and sort of have a little bit of competition and kind of make the honeybees go do what they're good at. 
or it could be something else that we're just not sure of yet. But it is really interesting to see that actually when you have more floral resources there, the honeybees tend to prefer the almonds and do more cross-pollination, which is obviously good for, for almond production. Right. Well, and I think you touched on another question that I had is, you know, okay, so if we're, if we're broadly supporting pollinators in general, you know, the, the conclusion might be that you have other pollinators within the orchard itself, but we're bringing bees in. And so why would the presence of other pollinators, you know, increasing biodiversity in, in that one layer, how would that help? And it seems like you're suggesting that maybe they, they're working in, in tandem or enhancing each other's pollination activities. But are there other reasons why, you know, additional pollinators within the orchard might be beneficial? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest one is just supporting biodiversity. You know, the truth is, is when you have farmland kind of everywhere, you don't have a lot of space to put in habitat. And so what's nice about the orchard floor is that it's, it's a space that's available to plants. So I think that's kind of the biggest benefit and reason for pollinators is just it's available as a source for them. There are other pollinators that will feed on and, and pollinate almonds, right? I mean, you, you guys use blue orchard bees and, and they're a native pollinator and like almonds as well. So what's great about those native ones is, you know, native pollinators don't move very far. They have really strict sort of nesting conditions that they need. And so if you have something like a hedgerow along the side of your orchard, and then you have a cover crop that goes into your orchard, you can support those native bees that will give you some pollination service for free. I want to touch quickly here on the other benefits sort of for honeybees themselves. You know, you said it yourself, Alan, where these cover crops can, on a good year with like rain and good weather conditions, can bloom right around the same time as almonds. Ideally, you know, we'd like to see them bloom a little bit earlier, like a week before almond pollination and go through almond pollination and stay until afterwards. Because what's really awesome about this is that when you bring those bees out to your orchard, your crop isn't just right with, for pollination yet, those honeybees are going to need something to eat. And if you have a cover crop out there, they'll get started faster. They'll have something, they'll get active, they'll start foraging. So then when your almonds bloom, they're ready to go. And then the same thing happens at the end. You know, if almond blooms starts to stop, they still need something to feed before the, the beekeeper comes and picks them up. So there's still something there for them to feed on. So it actually does help the, you know, the health of the honeybees and their activity as well. Well, it's interesting to say that, you know, we um, had Jim Watts from um, Watts Mason Bees and rentmasonbees.com on uh, several episodes ago. Um, and if you're listening out there, you should go check it out too. If you're interested in bees, uh, it was a good conversation uh, with a different you know, take on it. But one of his quotes along those lines was the almond flour is a great nutrition for bees. It's like broccoli. But his point was, if you were just to eat broccoli, you probably wouldn't be very healthy. You need other things to supplement um, and to make a, a rounded um, diet. And I, I think that was a really great point. And I think you're making pretty much the exact same point here, you know, offering different food sources. It it only helps um, keep the, those bees healthy. And, you know, I, I think I was going to ask you, you know, why should growers care about pollinator health? But I mean, from a you know, a honeybee perspective, it's really quite obvious, right? You know, if, if you can keep those hives healthy and you have the beekeepers taking home a really strong hive, well, that likely means that that hive is going to survive. It might even produce other queens and 
produce new hives that are going to be there for you uh, the following year. And that that's a really obvious one. You know, maybe not so obvious is, at least prior to this conversation, was, you know, the support of your native bees or the bees that might already be present in or around um, your orchards, right? The same principle applies. You provide them forage, you keep them healthy. They're going to survive. They're going to be there for you next year or more likely to be there next year where, if, you know, you don't have uh, as many food sources, the likelihood that they're going to continue to be there and thrive becomes less and less. And I think that, you know, it's just a really good thing all the way around from a, from a grower's perspective when you're, when you're looking at keeping those pollinators healthy. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one question that I have, you know, if, if we have growers out there that, that listen to the program, um, I, I know that they do. If they're thinking about the program or how it might apply to their orchards, you know, what are some resources that, uh, you know, the Pollinator Partnership might have available to a grower who's looking to, you know, maybe either enhance their their current practices or just kind of understand the Bee Friendly Farming Program? Are, are there things out there that they can go and seek? Yeah. So we at Pollinator Partnership have some resources that are fantastic. We have eco-regional planting guides, and that's probably the first place I'd recommend starting. They were designed for every eco-region in the U.S. And so, um, for California, the Central Valley has sort of one main ecoregion. So there's a guide for that region. And it's a, a 25-page guide that talks everything pollinators in that region, but then also gives you lists of species of plants that will support pollinators and a whole bunch of information about those plants, you know, the type of soil, when they'll bloom, what pollinators are supporting. Most of those, if not all of them, are native species that can be sourced in California as well. So that's a, a really good starting place. You know, we can help with more specific case-by-case technical assistance. So we have myself, and then we also uh, have Billy Sink, um, who used to be with Project APSM. He now joined our team as our California Habitat Specialist. I'm also going to pitch to our grower community. I know this this goes beyond our, our own grower community, but if you're a, a grower that's uh, paired with Select Harvest uh, USA, we... We're actively working with our grower community to to help you assess your your current programs in your orchards for this program. So, you know, don't think that you have to do this alone. Don't think that, uh, you know, this is something that you're going to have to go and do yourself. Um, myself and our team here, we're very familiar with the program. And obviously, uh, you know, we're, we're connected with you, Miles, and we, we know that you are a resource. Um, and uh, Billy as well. It's it's a great team. And I think the point that I want to make to our growers is we're a resource here for you too. So you can reach out to me um, or email us at info at Select Harvest USA. Um, and we can just start that process. There's no obligation. We're just, we're on the same team here. Um, we want to make sure that, you know, we get you the resources that you need. Because, you know, like we touched on, you're probably doing a lot of these things already in the grower community. Um, IPM is really that key example. Um, and if you're doing cover crops, you're probably pretty close. So let's talk about it. Let's uh, let's do that. It's an open door um, policy here for us. And, you know, Miles, if there are still growers out there that are listening that are still kind of on that fence about whether they want to want to do this, or, um, you know, maybe even you're not in the grower community and you're going like, well, why is this important? Or, you know, how can I, you know, why, why should I care? Or you're just looking for a little extra nugget you know, my question to you would be, how are you continuing to build that trust in the broader community out there, um, you know, maybe with the, the consumers or the, the general public? Um, are there outreach programs or, or what do you do on that front? Yeah, so there's kind of three-ish things that we focus on. So one is the trust with growers. And this program is about making this work for growers. And everything we do, we 
do in discussion with growers. We talk to them. We figure out what's going to work for them. We're not a prescriptive program. We don't, you know, we're not telling growers how to do this in the exact way and telling them how to do it. So that's a big one for us is, is anytime you have thoughts about how the program's going or, or if things are working for you, you know, let us know and talk to us about them. And then in terms of getting to consumers, we have a bee-friendly garden program. And so what we're doing with that program is taking some of these key criteria from the certification and key practices and taking those to homeowners and getting them to do these practices in their own yards, putting in habitat, being mindful of pesticide use, et cetera. And so that they can join the program, they can support us, they can support pollinators, but then they'll go to the supermarket and see the logo and say, hey, I'm, I'm part of that program. I, I know what that means, right? I know what it means on the ground. I know what it means at my house. And so when they see that logo on the shelves, they know that those growers are doing the same thing that they're doing. And so that's a really good program that we're continuing to expand um, and really, really getting a lot of traction with. And then the last one is working with you know, big retailers, big companies that are sourcing some of these products to get them to think about, you know, how do they develop a pollinator policy and um, what are some of the constraints that growers have? You know, we want to try to be a voice for growers to these companies so that they aren't putting out sort of unachievable goals, right? And that they aren't considering some of the constraints. You know, drought is a huge one, right? We're, we're in a, a major drought in California. And so, Putting pollinator habitat in in the drought is extremely challenging, and so that's a big focus of ours is just to to work with these retailers to really understand what it's like on the ground and what's happening on the ground, and so that these growers can get those that recognition. Right? You know, we want you as a lot harvest to, you know, be getting a lot of recognition for the work you're doing, and that's really important because these practices can be expensive and time consuming. Well, all those points are, are really great. You know, no two growers really are the same. You know, in our last year here, you know, we're trying to we're trying to get about uh, 5,000 acres within our grower community certified within the Pollinator Partnerships uh, Be Friendly Farming Program by the end of this month. Um, I think we're, we're well there. We have applications, and I know you know that, Miles. Um, but working with our grower community, I mean, that that's a really key point, is a practice that might work for one grower doesn't necessarily work for another. And having gone through that program, I know that the environment that you guys have created over there is one that um, recognizes that and takes those things into account. And it's been a really positive thing for us um, in working with our communities and being able to find those little little pieces, those little nuggets, those things that are going to make pollinators more successful, you know, in the long term within our different grower, um, you know, regions and, uh, you know, our individual growers themselves. It's been great working with you. And I think we're, we're well on our way, you know, in, in our organization to, um, you know, continuing to, to meet our goals. We're looking for another 5,000 acres next year. Um, so please, again, grower community, I, I'm here really as a, as a shameless plug to you to say, hey, come work with us. Let's talk about this. Um, we want to do better together. So that'll be my last last little plug there. And, you know, Miles, I'm going to say thanks for coming out and talking with us. I'm really glad you took your time. I know uh, you're you're traveling and you're busy, and I appreciate you taking the time to come here and, you know, talk about the Pollinator Partnership, why it's important in the Bee Friendly Farming Program. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Alan. Thanks for having me. Can I just make one final piece here, Alan? Yeah, of course you can. I mean, that's what this is all about. I just want to say that there are a lot of free resources available through other organizations as well, including a lot of free seed and free plant programs. So if you're a little hesitant about putting in habitat, you know, spending some of your resources on that, 
those programs are fantastic. So that includes the teacher bees program from Project APSM, where you can get about, I think it's about $2,500 worth of free seed for your first year. And then there's also a program from Monarch Joint Venture for free plants and others as well. So if you're interested in any of those programs, you know, you feel free to email me and I can connect you with those folks. Um, they're really, really awesome. And they take a little bit of that financial burden off of you as you're kind of testing this out yourself. Well, you know, I know Billy would be a little upset at you if you didn't mention the fact that you, you know, yourselves have some grant programs and things like that to support habitat enhancement and, and planting. So yeah, we do. Yeah, I should have, I definitely should have mentioned those. They're a little bit spottier. We kind of get them as, as they come and go. So we, we do have one ongoing um, for the next year and we continue to apply for more funding for those as well. Well, I think it's just a really great point. The The reality here is there are resources out there. You don't have to do this alone. And we can we can make a better, you know, ecosystem, better environment for, you know, all of us to be more sustainable and make sure that we can continue to do this for for the long term. You know, we have a lot of multi-generational growers out there. And I know that you take this stuff seriously. You know, how are you going to make it to the end of your career in a way where you're leaving a legacy, you're leaving something that's better than maybe you took it over as and something that can continue to propel and, and support your your family through the next generation. So I know you guys are thinking about this kind of stuff. You're already doing a lot of great things. So you don't have to continue to take these steps alone. Reach out to myself, to Miles, to Pollinator Partnership, Project APSM you mentioned. There are others. Let's make this happen. And so thank you, Miles, for bringing that up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thank you for having me again, Alan. I appreciate it. And it's been a great partnership. Um, we're doing great things. Um, you know, we've we started with ten thousand acres of our own um, under the Be Friendly Farming Certification um, Program. Like I mentioned, we're seeking uh, additional five thousand acres with our growers uh, by the end of this month, and uh, more to come. So, it's been a great, successful program. We're looking for for more in the future. It's been great, and uh, this is also where I plug selectharvestalmondsnacks.com. You can go and get um, all of our great almond products. There are new things coming. I keep teasing that, I know, but um, I actually have a case of the products, uh, some of the new stuff here on my desk. So maybe by the time uh, this drops, you can get some. So check out um, our website. The new products will be there probably here in another couple of weeks. They're really delicious. We're really excited about them. They might even be made with some of our uh, bee-friendly um, almonds out there so you can feel good about it. Until next time... This is Alan Burwell, and this is Nut News.